Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Cast. I'm Vicky. I'm Janelle. And we're <laughs> back again. Uh, did we ever leave? No. <laughs> no. No, we didn't. They're always in your heart. Um, no. <laughs> okay. And you, to, to find us, you just have to look inside yourself. Guts. Find the bad taste. Oh. <laughs> the guts. Find the bad taste in all of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, if this is your first time listening, we're first sorry. to you. Choose a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about some interesting cases today. Ooh. But first, let's head over to the newsroom. So you, I before <laughs> before we okay. started recording, you, I, we, we, this, Us, I don't, yeah, that. Before we started recording, I was playing a little video about the uh, story that we're going to talk about today. Okay, that's what that was. All you asked right. me what that was. That's what that was. It sounded uh, like an episode of the of Cops for a minute. Well, it was it was body cam footage. Okay, well, there you go. So uh, this story again comes out of Florida. This is taking place. I know. (laughs) This is from our list of food crimes that we go back and forth from when we have real news. Not as catchy (laughs) as Cleveland. Cleveland, Florida. (laughs) Uh, So this happened in a Chick Fil A parking lot, September twenty fifth. Corey Hatzel was arrested at a Palm Coast Chick Fil A because he was allegedly chasing two strangers around the parking lot. After removing all of his clothes and then shouting, quote, you're gay for looking at my penis. So what we what you heard, which I don't think I'm going to add the audio in here. It doesn't really add anything to this story. I mean, it's interesting. It is interesting. But um, police responded and found a man running around naked chasing these people. 
he was charged with disorderly conduct, breach of peace, and resisting arrest. But in the video that we were listening to, you could hear him as they're trying to arrest him. He goes, hey, do you see my ass? What do you think of that? And then he goes, hey, to the cops, hey, I love you. More than once, hey, I love you. And also, you win. Yes. (laughs) I I get the impression that he's a little drunk or intoxicated on something. Or trying to tell everyone in a very weird way that he's gay. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe he just likes to run around naked. I don't know. He's asked the officer about their opinion on his ass. (laughs) I mean, but... Maybe he just wanted to know. What happened to you? I'm sure. I'm sure this is not exactly what Chick Fil A was expecting to be going out in their parking lot I mean, after hours. No, like, not at all. Just naked. They're just there for Jesus and chicken. Okay, <laughs> naked men in the parking lot. Just not on Sundays. Mm. Moving right along <laughs> for Netflix and Kill today. We're talking about Happy Jail. Have you started this at all, or do you no. plan on watching it? I should say. I you know how I feel about jailhouse stuff. Yeah, yeah. this one is a little different. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Happy Jail is a series on Netflix. It's 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 around um, CPDRC in Cebu in the Philippines. You probably don't know what I'm talking about from that. But <laughs> uh, if you remember in 2007, there was the video that went viral of the big prison doing Michael Jackson's Thriller. Mm-hmm. That was at this prison. Okay. So, yeah, so it's they call it Happy Jail and they are well known for like the dances and stuff that they do. But the interesting thing about this one, it does not function as a typical jail does in, say, the United States. It's very bizarre. And just just based on on what we're familiar with, it's a little different. They do still do per- dancing performances once a month. It's open to the public for the public to come in and watch them dance. <laughs> okay. uh, but there has also been a bit of controversy because with the changeover of the governor, I'm, th- I'm pretty sure it's not the mayor, it's the governor. They also made a changeover in the way that the prison is managed, and the new governor put in place a guy to, uh, they call him a consultant, but he is essentially managing, uh, he's under the warden, but he's like managing the whole prison. Um, The guy that they hire is an ex-convict himself. Now, they talk a lot about, or he talks a lot about who better to come in and manage these people other than somebody who knows how these people work? Like you have to be an an ex-convict to know how convicts work kind of a thing. Um, There's also this interesting like way that things are run internally by themselves, whereas they each it's almost like its own government system within the jail. They have people who they have actual inmates who guard all the inmates as like as okay. like yeah so <laughs> they're sounds really so they're like, like a great system right yeah so they're like so, you surprisingly enough it it seems from what i can tell i'm not all the way done with it but from what i can tell it seems okay kind of okay <laughs> yeah and it's they also have they house female inmates in the same prison that are when they're like out on yard time like they're allowed to to go kind of wherever and of course each little like cell block has its own set of rules that you kind of have to abide by and it's but like i said it's not your typical 
like jailhouse documentary or TV show. Mm-hmm. It's really, really different because of the prison status in the world as this kind of like viral sensation, but also the internal politics are hmm. are strange. They're really different. And I definitely think it's worth a watch, if only to see how this functions in other countries. And in the that Philippines, it's just like it's just like the the prison itself. If you've seen that video, that yard is in the middle of the entire jail. So yeah. all the buildings around that are just jail cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like intensely overcrowded. But I think it's worth a watch. I think you should at least watch one episode and then decide if you don't like it. Yeah. I have a hard time with prison prison stuff. Yeah. Because of the whole like prison reform and everything. I'm like, I don't want to even participate in watching this i understand vehemently against i understand (laughs) but it seems to me that people in this jail because this is actually like a um it is it is is an actual jail it's it's how it's for detention until sentencing okay so once you are sentenced if you're found guilty you're sent to like a maximum security (laughs) that is in a different place that's why they're so happy because they haven't actually been sentenced yet (laughs) Kind maybe maybe I've also the they're code. allowed to dance. Yes, uh, but you like can I take said, my freedom, but you can't take my dance moves. Yeah, oh god, uh, groove is in the heart. Um, so I think if if only to become aware kind of of how some jails function in other countries but even with like some of their success as like the dancing jail like it's it is just it's a weird juxtaposition between like being this viral thing and then seeing what actual life is like there i don't know it's it's very good in my opinion i think it's worth a watch We'll see. I'll think about it. I'll mull it over. That's fine. <laughs> see if you can fit it into your true crime schedule. I know. I'm so busy. <laughs> yes, Janelle. What are we talking about today? <laughs> um, so, every once in a while, we like to cover cases that we feel like using our public platform could do a little bit of help. Um, in this case, we are talking about missing persons mm-hmm. uh, cases, and we have covered a couple missing persons in the past. But any sort of you know bringing these to the public conversation again, um, even if it's on our little small fan base, <laughs> I think would be helpful. And we haven't done this in a while, so that's what we're doing today. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> So, I lost my notes. Hold on. Oh, God. <laughs> it's fine. Let me just let me just get my notes open here. We are going to start with the disappearance of Paige Renkowski. Okay. On the morning of May 24th, 1990, Paige gave her mom a lift to the Detroit Metro Airport around 11.30 a.m. Her mom was leaving from Michigan to go visit her other daughter, Michelle, uh, in Atlanta. The drive from Paige's house in Lansing to the airport was about an hour and a half long. And so following dropping her mom off, Paige planned to meet with a friend of hers at a park in Canton, Michigan, which is... Far, it's closer to Lansing than to the airport. So she drives from the airport back to Canton. The two hang out for a while before they went back to her friend's house. And from there, she left to head back to Lansing to catch her fiance's softball game, stopping at what Livingston Daily 
described as a now defunct party store, although I've seen it also described as a gas station. So it almost kind of sounds gas like station a station party, like a liquor store, maybe okay. or something like that. <laughs> okay, we, we sell party hats, but also gas, but also gas. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> Paige stopped off there to purchase beer between 2.30 p.m. and 2.45. In later interviews with police, the clerk who was working at the time recalled Paige coming in pretty vividly because, quote, she wore a distinctive multicolored loose-fitting flowered pants and a distinctive necklace, the latter of which the clerk asked Redenkoski about. Okay. So some bright colored clothing. The drive back to Lansing was approximately half an hour, but for whatever reason, on the way back, Paige pulled off to the side of the road on I-96, which is a pretty major highway. And according to the Detroit Free Press, quote, at least five witnesses told investigators they saw Renkoski and a man standing next to a van and talking after she had pulled her car off the freeway near Fowlerville at about 3.30 p.m. At this point, since we're so far out from the original investigation, investigators have kind of pinned it down to some time between 3.15 and 4.30, which is a huge window. Yeah. Um, Not really pinned down much at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And especially with cold cases, it's hard to get a solid timeline necessarily because a lot of times there isn't a ton of information when somebody just disappears Mm -hmm. unless there is some sort of like a murder scene where there is like obvious signs of a struggle or like obvious you know what I mean like yeah it's otherwise hard to pin down any sort of time there was another report claiming to possibly have seen her at a rest stop kiosk, but cold case investigators haven't been able to substantiate these claims at all. The woman who had originally given that report has since been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so it's kind of like... Okay, credibility is in question. Yeah, yeah. There's also been some conflicting reports as to whether the van pulled off by Paige's car was parked in front of or behind her vehicle, which would make a difference for something that we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other reports include seeing Paige driving fast and a little recklessly appearing to try and get away from a car that was following her and also seeing Paige talking to like the man that she was talking to she was speaking with him with her hands gesturing in the air while he placed a hand on her shoulder okay whatever happened on the side of the road that day it's possible that we might ever never find out because that was the last time that Paige was seen alive okay Another motorist on I-96 had passed Page's 1986 silver Oldsmobile Cutlass Calais. Can you spell it? C-A-L-A-I-S. Do you know car things? I mean, I know a Cutlass Supreme, but... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what that is. C-A-L-Calais. C-A-L again. What was the last? C-A-L-A-I-S. Calais. Calais? Yeah. Um, Her Oldsmobile. (laughs) saw it on the side of the road at a again around 3 30 p.m and then was driving back on i-96 and saw it still on the side of the road four hours later this caused the motorist to become a little concerned and suspicious and so they decided to inform authorities around 8 p.m was when the police arrived to check the car out and they didn't initially treat it as a crime scene because it was called in as an abandoned vehicle when they arrived the car was still running and 
Okay. <laughs> Which is like something that they saw as being a little odd, but it didn't like, because again, because it was called in as an abandoned car, it didn't like trigger anything in the officer to be like, this is weird. I should call it in. I was um, running. That's weird. It is weird, but he's like, it was one of those like, hmm, that's odd. Oh, well, kind of things. You're a really great cop. <laughs> it's the ni- this is the 90s we're talking about You're a here. really great yeah. cop. <laughs> the, it, it appeared that everything was intact. Like there wasn't any like visible damage really to the car. And the door to the car was unlocked. Inside, they found Paige's purse, shoes, and the beer that had been purchased before she pulled off the road. The shoes have been something that a lot of people have pointed to as being weird, but I will say also from my personal experience, sometimes I like to take my shoes off when I drive. And, and lots of people who take their shoes off when the, they drive. The way they weirds me out. Yeah, there's I don't like um, the feeling of the pedals. <laughs> there's pictures, uh, crime scene photos from this case that will be with our research links, and you can see the photo that they took at the inside of the car where the shoes were at, and it is. They said it was placed in an unusual way. Honestly, it is a, the exact same spot where I put my shoes. You like push them up closer to the driver's seat and just like line them up side by side closer to the driver's seat. Were they like slip off shoes too? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like flaps. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you just take them off, line them up, put them up by the driver's seat. It didn't seem that weird to me as somebody who does that all no, the time. If they're slip-ons, like you could just kick them off, move them back and right. kick them back on. Like, yeah. I do that with like flip flops and stuff all the time too. Um, so that didn't seem as weird to me, but Still thinking that this was just an abandoned car, the officer who had been dispatched just called a tow truck to have the car moved. So they ran the tags before he did this. He ran the tags to find the owner, but if, um, and the information that came ba- back was for Artis Rinkowski, who is Paige's mother, mm-hmm. who is out of town. <laughs> right. They tried to get a hold of her. And again, because she had just flown to Georgia, this is the 90s. People don't really have cell phones. Yep. You're just going to call her house and, and leave a message. And like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Not even show up. They called no. her and left a message on the answering machine. But it almost spot on police work <laughs> again. Nineties hmm, cars abandoned. Nobody's answering the phone, huh? Nineties. <laughs> That's if that it was literally the 70s, like I'd be like, it's the seventies. It's true. No one fucking cares. It's true. Nineteen Yeah, they were they were getting there with okay. their police work. <laughs> So it almost didn't matter at all because Artis was already like starting to worry because they hadn't heard from Paige since she had been dropped off at the airport earlier that morning. And so Paige's mom and sister decided to call Paige's fiance, Steve, and had him go and check the answering machine at Artis's house leading to them all discovering, one, that Paige's car had been towed, and two, that she was missing. Obviously, they didn't leave a a message saying, your daughter is missing, but because the car had been towed and she wasn't with it... They were like, oh, we finally put two and two together. Exactly. (laughs) So the following day, Steve went in to talk with police, and then the day after that, they finally processed Paige's car as a crime scene. Thanks to some help from a witness, police were able to get back to the general area where her car was found, because it's also not like when they had the car towed, they like made a note of it on a map or anything. Yeah. Um, they had to rely on witness statements to be like, it was about in this area. They also did find a bunch of 
fingerprints and palm prints, but they weren't able to find any matches. Part of me is not surprised about that because the car itself, which again was Artis's car, her mom's, it was actually a company car. Mm. So it's entirely possible that the company car had multiple people driving. Right. And none of these people have been entered into like an FBI database for any previous crimes or anything. There was an extensive search effort carried out over the next couple of days that involved 150 volunteers distributing flyers in Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Minnesota, and New York. Uh, Police also utilized nine tracking dogs to search a 500-acre wooded area just south of where Paige's car was found, but they weren't able to find any additional clues. And honestly, that was kind of it for a while. Um, they didn't have any additional information. They were like, she's a runaway. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> seem like it. I think at least in she this case. fucking person there. Like, right. hello. Well, per, and this is when people were like, well, it's kind of weird that her shoes were still in there. Um, and why she would leave her car without shoes. Who knows? On, with all of her personal effects in it. Right. Yeah. Which I think kind of. Like all of those things together, it's like, this is suspicious. Yeah, it was less of a, oh, she just took off and doesn't want to be found, and more of a, this is real weird. All of her stuff is here, but she is not. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Are you laughing at the. so fucking stupid. Why is everyone so stupid in the 90s? (laughs) Unfortunately, because the car was originally, again, called in as an abandoned car, police were unable to take any photographs or process anything at the scene. Right, footprints and all that shit. Yeah, and it's entirely possible that there was evidence lost because of this. Oh, I guarantee Um, there's tire marks, like anything. Yeah. (laughs) I also don't necessarily think it could have been avoided because of one thanks to a lot of different circumstances surrounding the discovery of the car there were a lot of assumptions made that i think they could you know it it's one of those things that's like had it been called in as a missing person they would have treated it far differently than a passing motorist being like there's this abandoned car on the side of the road mm-hmm. um and there was definitely like a preconceived because it was called in as an abandoned car you know, so I don't know necessarily that it could have been avoided unless they were able to find out that she had been missing earlier than the car was discovered. I don't know. I think when that officer approached the vehicle and it was on and all of her stuff was in there and no one was in there, I would have raised a little suspicion. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's who leaves their car on and, and leaves. True. True. Nobody. Well, exactly. (laughs) I don't think anybody. I've never done that. Not in the middle of any, like, nowhere. Maybe in your driveway. Go back into the house and get something. Yeah. But not when you're on the side Mm -mm. of the road. Yeah. And that's the thing. It was, like, on the side of a busy highway. Police did have a couple of working theories, mainly that the person Paige was speaking to was either somebody that she knew, uh, somebody who had staged an accident, or possibly somebody impersonating a police officer. Which I keep hearing a ton of fucking stories about recently, and it's like nerve-wracking. I know, I know. Because you want to respect authority, but only if I mean, that I authority don't is... respect You know, it's so me neither. I mean... The other day, I mentioned to my mom that I have a healthy mistrust of authority, and she just laughed at me, and I'm just like, do you not? I mean, come on. she's probably like, it's more than a healthy mistrust. Oh, yeah, it's entirely possible. <laughs> yes. Um, but it is like... 
how do you know if it's a real cop? I mean, there are a lot of cars that look like cop cars, especially with like now with the amount of unmarked vehicles that we mm-hmm. have. It's sometimes hard to tell unless you, you look at the plate. License plate, yeah. yeah. Um, and even then, like you, I mean, you could probably fake a license plate. Probably, yeah. I mean, it's probably not hard unless you're up against it and you see the raises. You could probably paint over top of one. Yeah, yeah, pretty easily. But the idea that. Page cruising down a 70 mile per hour highway that she would have seen somebody that she knew and then pulled over is a little unlikely. Yeah, improbable. Uh, (laughs) Staging an accident is a bit more likely, but like Mm -hmm. I said earlier, there wasn't any visible damage to her car and there wasn't really any physical evidence to support that as in like other stuff left on the side of the road, like broken uh, taillight pieces or like, like there wasn't really anything to support that. Yeah, and it didn't seem like she would have pulled over for any reason with her car yeah yeah which means that somebody posing as a police officer or somebody in authority pulling her over seems to be the more likely of the theories because she was kind of described as somebody who would have respected the authority enough to like pull over and try and deal with whoever was trying to pull her over Although authorities have developed a couple persons of interest and questioned a few subjects over the years, nothing substantial really had happened in this case until 2011, when a woman from Handy Township gave police a tip that, as a young girl 21 years earlier, she remembered seeing a pair of cement-covered boots at a pond in Handy Township around the time of Paige's disappearance. Wait. Wait, repeat that one more time. <laughs> she was a what little? Wait, what? What? <laughs> okay. So 21 years before, okay. in 2011, 21 uh-huh. years before that, when she was a girl, yes, she remembered that around the time of Paige's disappearance, she saw a pair of cement-covered boots sitting next to a pond in Handy Township that she thought was really weird. Okay. The okay. <laughs> it seems I know unless it's like the only thing that I could think that would tip off is if the thinking was that she might have been put in cement and then dumped into the pond or been buried and had cement placed over top or I'm not even sure. I, yeah, that is so strange yeah but you know how far away the pond was from where she went missing i don't actually know how far it doesn't sound like it's that far it's within driving distance so if you were somebody that was like disposing of a body it wouldn't be a difficult place to get to Mm -hmm. but i'm also wondering if just because of how long they hadn't had anything come up in the case that they're like every lead is worth investigating which i totally agree with to an extent but they did go up there uh, and search the site. They used ground penetrating radar and did some digging, but they didn't really seem to find anything other than animal bones. Yeah. Also, like, how reliable is that? How many years ago she yeah. was, you know, a child? Right. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we all know how, me- I mean, memory is not a recording of what happens around you. That's just not mm. how it works. Um, every time you recall. Not a- yet. No, no, not until we are androids. <laughs> yes. Please, not, please, please. Not, not until Black Mirror becomes yeah. real. Um, but <laughs> memory is not like a recorder. Every time you try and remember something, you're actually altering that memory just a little bit. So you it's idealize it. Yeah. It's never going to be the same recalling it as it was when it first happened 
to you or even like recalling it the day after mm-hmm. if you recall something 21 years later it's not going to be the same no at all no. investigators did another dig later in the year in november in conway township the site was also it was searched after they reviewed a 1999 case file that included a letter and a map that indicated pages remains were buried there so like they had received something that was okay. like, here's where her remains are. Okay. Um, but the map itself was incredibly crudely do- drawn. And in, uh, authorities, they weren't even entirely sure that they were looking in the right place, which would explain why they hadn't necessarily acted on it in the 90s. Because it was, if you can't even tell. Yeah. There's a bunch of lines, wavy right, lines and circles. Why waste the resources? <laughs> yeah. So they did attempt using this map to search this area in Conway Township and again used ground penetrating radar um, and chose to dig in a spot that had been indicated at with the help of a cadaver dog. Uh, very reliable we've yes learned. yes note the sarcasm <laughs> yeah. um, but of course they were not able to find anything a cold case squad does continue to work the case and occasionally interest is drummed up every once in a while on the 23rd anniversary of Paige's disappearance billboards were erected all over lansing michigan using her picture and asks, asking for information along with the images of two other missing women Paige's mom, artist, devoted the rest of her life to being an advocate for missing people by helping other families and educating the public. But unfortunately, artist died in December of 2017, never being able to find out what happened to her daughter. Do they ever make mention of the father at all? No, not not from what I was seeing. No. Paige's sister, Michelle, has really kind of stepped up and become this representative for the family uh, and and the one that's like checking in on case progress with authorities. And she even did an interview about her sister's disappearance uh, with NBC's Dateline as recent as May 2019. I'll put a link to the interview in that um, in our our notes, because it is a very interesting um, conversation they have with her. Police have at this point ruled Paige's disappearance as a homicide, although her body, like I said, has never been found. There is a $2,500 reward being offered by the Michigan Crime Stoppers uh, for information about Paige's disappearance. And of course, as always, um, we want to leave you with all of the information that you may need to get in touch with the proper channels if you have information. At the time of this recording, Paige Rinkowski would be 59 years old. She is 5'6 and 125 pounds at the time of her disappearance. Blonde hair and blue eyes. Her distinguishing features include surgical scars on the inside of her right arm and on both knees. She was last seen wearing a white silk shirt, multicolored loose-fitting pants, and a long beaded necklace. If you have any information about Paige Rinkowski's disappearance, there are a few ways that you can get in touch with authorities. One, you can call 1-800-SPEAK-UP to speak with a live operator from Crime Stoppers. If you'd like to leave an anonymous tip, you can always visit www.1800speakup.org. Click Submit Anonymous Tips. Or you can text the letters CSM plus your tip information to CRIMES. That's 274-637. Or please get in touch with the Livingston County Sheriff's Department at 517-540-7879.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So um, for my case... I've been doing a lot of research on the Doe Network lately for some upcoming things, and um, I've just, like, had cases in my brain Mm -hmm. from being on that uh, Mm -hmm. website for such a long time. Yeah. Um, This one was one of the first ones that I came across when I was researching some uh, Jane Doe's. This one is (laughs) titled Princess Doe, and I'll explain that later. I did have to double title (laughs) yeah i had to double check that i read that correctly when i first saw it in your notes i thought okay this should be interesting yeah sometimes people try to humanize the jane does and in my opinion it sometimes has a counter effect that's almost a little more patronizing like extremely i mean without knowing anything about the case that you're about to talk about having that as a You're right on the fucking nose it's super fucking patronizing okay yeah little princess sorry i'm a little outraged yeah um, <laughs> just a scotch outrage. just today every day of just my life <laughs> until I die. so on july 15th 1982 at around 8 a.m a cemetery maintenance worker they called them grave diggers in those days okay but uh, now it's a cemetery maintenance worker proper terms proper terms we're always learning yes was making their rounds in their cemetery, just kind of beginning their routine uh, when they came upon a body that was in an embankment on the edge of a creek that bordered the cemetery. So the cemetery kind of backed up to a wooded area and it kind of dropped off into this big, huge embankment and then a tiny little creek at the bottom. Okay. The Cedar Ridge Cemetery is the largest in the area of Blairstown, New Jersey, and people were in and out of there frequently. So this guy coming upon this body it had to have been like pretty quickly here uh the scene of the cemetery if you look it up it looks very much like did you ever see the 1985 movie uh return of the living dead yes it's very much like that cemetery it was spooky looking up pictures i was like this looks like the return of the living dead okay yeah so the body was that of an unidentified female the woman was partially clothed with a red short sleeve cotton stretch t-shirt and a patterned boho red skirt that tied at the waist it has peacocks on the bottom of it she had no undergarments on and she had a golden cross necklace and no shoes so i put a couple photos of the uh, clothing underneath because yeah this case very very heavily relies on a lot of Photographs. Yeah, and all of these photos we'll include in the notes as well. Yeah. So um, in that photo, you can see the T-shirt, the necklace, and yeah, the skirt. Yeah. Very distinctive outfit, like bright that red. skirt especially with that pattern. Chic. Yeah. yeah. And this was the early 80s. So this is gives me like like 60s vibes yes. in, the, in the way yeah, that the totally. clothing is appearing. Yeah. The girl had been severely beaten to the point where her face was unrecognizable. So much so that they couldn't even put what her eye color was on her autopsy report. 
The cause of death was ruled blunt force trauma to the head. It appeared that she had been dead approximately three days to two weeks, according to the autopsy. Again, nailing down that time frame. So good at it. They're great at their job. Yeah. The coroner was kind of unable to determine the exact time period because it was the middle of July. Oh, God. What year was this? 1982. Okay. The decomposition rate uh, accelerated in the hot weather. Big time, I'm sure. So they were kind of still a little unsure about it. Right. The coroner estimated that the age of the victim was between 14 and 18 years old. Okay. She was 5'2 and 100 pounds, so very tiny, very petite, very young. She had shoulder-length brown hair. Again, no eye color was determined. She had red nail polish only on her right hand and blue eyeshadow. Her ears were pierced, but no earrings present. Her left ear actually had two piercings. Okay. She had several fillings in her teeth, and two of her front teeth appeared to be darkened. Um, There was no known surgical scars, no birthmarks, no tattoos present. It was also determined that she had never given birth, and that was there was some alcohol present in her system. Okay. So, like, all of this was listed on the autopsy report. I'm like, they really put, like, she's never had children. Like, what? (laughs) Very strange. I mean, is it, though? I don't think it's that strange. I mean, it's a little strange. If you're doing an autopsy, you can tell if somebody has been able to bear children or not. And when you're talking about finding a missing person with a Jane Doe, being able to provide that bit of information could mean, you know, the difference between identifying one person or another if one of them had children. In 1982, though, I mean, they couldn't do really much DNA or anything like that. You'd have to be like, my mom's missing. (laughs) But she was a child, so if she would have given birth, it might have been... You know, in secret or who knows? Yeah, but you can't hide that from your womb shape. And, and <laughs> you different, can't hide wombs. Different. Well, seriously, like even like vaginal tearing and like mm-hmm. some of that other stuff that happens when you ha- at least when you have natural childbirth or yeah. seeing scars from cesarean mm-hmm. C-section. Yeah, C-section would be very yeah. evident. Yeah, especially back then. Right, just right. Like fucking slice you open, basically. Yeah, as deep as you could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh, gross. Oh, kids. Yeah, that was one thing that stood out on the autopsy report. Yeah. I was like, Ew, what? Yeah. <laughs> so there was also, they obviously did uh, a little investigation to see if she had been assaulted. There was mm-hmm. no visible as evidence of sexual assault. But due to the exposure to the elements, her body was very heavily degraded. So if she was assaulted, it probably wouldn't have been noticeable anyway. Yeah. She had no ID or personal effects on her either. The unidentified woman was affectionately named Princess Doe. After her discovery, due to her approximate age, the officers, for some reason, felt like this deep connection and wanted to, you know, make her stand out. So they named her Princess Doe. Insert eye roll here. I literally <laughs> eye rolled the entire time oh I was saying God. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate I, the name. I get that as human beings, we want to, like you said, humanize somebody that we are not able to put an identity to but come on like just like you said patronizing patronizing horribly condescending yeah yuckies yeah it gives me the yuckies the yuckies (laughs) this would be literally how she's referred to for the rest of all time as princess doe i fucking hate it a description of the girl was released along with her clothing I put those pictures in because that was the first thing that people saw when they Mm -hmm. said that they found a body in the cemetery. They released a photo of the clothing. 
the officer had the wherewithal to put it on a fucking mannequin and present it all together. Yeah. Like the necklace and everything. Yeah. This proved to be very helpful because in the first few weeks, there was a lot of people calling in being like, yeah, I saw someone wearing that outfit. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very distinct. Mm -hmm. So a woman anonymously reported to police that she had seen a young woman matching the victim's description who wore similar clothing in a store near the cemetery where the body was discovered. Unfortunately, the lead didn't really go anywhere, uh, but it did put a focus on kind of researching where that clothing came from, where it was made, maybe getting a a better understanding of of that. Well, I'm sure this is helping them at least attempt to build some sort of timeline, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. So they searched a little bit deeper, and they had found that the manufacturer of the clothing was from the Midwest, and that the clothing had been sold out of a store in Long Island, New York. And she was found in New Jersey. So we're kind of getting that approximate area. Yeah, okay. The police department contacted every school in New Jersey and New York to see if there was uh, missing girls in between the 14 and 18-year-old age group. Mm -hmm. They scoured truck stops and diners in the hopes that maybe she was a runaway who had hitchhiked through there. Uh, They also kind of checked out the truck stops to see if maybe she was a sex worker. Okay. Uh, They did that route, too. They released a detailed sketch with uh, facial reconstruction to the best of their abilities. If you go on, there is a website called uh, princessdoe.org, I believe. Okay. Yes, princessdoe.org. And it has all of the facial reconstruction, the bust that was created, all of the new software that recreated her face. Okay. It was all based off of that first initial sketch, but she had so much blood oh, force dang. trauma to her fucking face. I'm going to say that since they couldn't even tell you the eye color, that that's probably not a very accurate portrayal. Yeah. I'm very skeptical when it comes to facial reconstruction. <laughs> I feel like it's gotten quite a bit better i mean even if the skin is so damaged that you can't tell anything upon looking like like i'm on the princessdo.org right now and they have a like a 3d Mm -hmm. um model and i think with skull like using bone um reconstruction to kind of fill everything out Mm -hmm. it's gonna be way better than having an artist trying to recreate by sketching the problem i have with this though is that her face was like caved in really like so the skull itself was actually eyes were like really popped yeah so <laughs> it takes kind Oof. of a lot of energy and exertion to pop some both of somebody's eyeballs so yeah. if her eye sockets were that fucked up i can only imagine what happened to her face and her mouth yeah so that's why i'm very skeptical of the uh facial reconstruction in this case is it possible that there would still be enough bone fragment um left in the face to put back together i I mean it would take a long time and be very tedious but Mm -hmm. like i mean maybe that i don't know it's hard to say especially if the body was just dumped and yeah and it was already in decomposition as well as smashed yeah and so it's pretty clear like the crime happened elsewhere it did not happen behind this cemetery Mm -hmm. um so it's entirely probable that like all of that bone fragment that they would need to reconstruct the skull in any sort of way (laughs) yeah just at a totally different scene so yeah take take the facial reconstruction with a grain of salt yeah after they kind of released all this information, did the facial reconstruction really set to the public? There was not really any leads or suspects in the Princess Doe case. So she was buried in the same cemetery where they found her on January 22nd, okay. 1983. Jeez. 
Later that year, an HBO series featured the Princess Doe case in hopes that tips would be called in. And I have a link to that. You can watch it on uh, YouTube. It's very good. It follows the investigators. It shows you their thought process in showing the clothing and the location of where she was found. You can really see how deep the fucking ravine was. Like, it was a mess. It doesn't appear that really any tips came out of this. Uh, There was a few phone calls. A handful of families who thought Princess Doe, maybe their daughter, called the the helpline to be like, you know, my daughter's missing. She's approximately the same age, uh, hair color, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But all of these families that contacted because of this HBO special, all of their children were ruled out. Uh, because of fingerprint and blood type analysis. Okay, okay. I mean, I guess ruling out is, when you have nothing to go on, like, ruling out is just as good as ruling Mm in. I mean, it's terrible for those families. Right. (laughs) That are like, oh my gosh, I think that might be my daughter. Yeah. No. Yeah. (laughs) So... There was they featured a few of the a few of the families on that, and I highly encourage you to watch that clip because you can really see the desperation in some of these people who are like, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm from here, but maybe that might be my daughter." Mm-hmm. The lead detective on the case, Eric Krantz, was very key in keeping the case in the spotlight for such a long time. He had that whole idea of the clothing. He really was vital in helping get some of this information. He also was really vital in getting a proper headstone and burial for the Princess Doe. Mm-hmm. I put a picture of that uh, down there in the notes as well. There's kind of a little quip on there. It's like missing, you know, what did it say? Missing from home. Missing from home. Dead amongst strangers. Remembered. You know, by Remembered many by or something. All. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Born so. question mark found July fifteenth, nineteen eighty two. So it was an attempt at a headstone. But a you weird. had to put Princess Doe on the headstone. Exactly. You know, it's a little like a little cringy. A little cringy. That's pretty cringy. So on June thirtieth, nineteen eighty three, Princess Doe was entered into the NCIC computer database by FBI Director William H. Webster. If you're not familiar with that, the NCIC is the National Crime Information Center, which is run by the FBI. This predates a lot of the missing networks that we know today, like CODIS, NamUs, and the Doe Network. Yeah, there is some information that says that she was the first person entered into it. I don't believe so, looking at some of the cases that pop up when you go into the NCIC. Yeah. But there is a couple articles that say she was the first person ever entered into there. I'm going to put a flag on that. That's a questionable. Can you say one of the first? I, I would say maybe one of the first, yeah. but not in the, the early first. the early days of the NCIC. Yeah, it's, it seemed yeah. a little like they were stretching the truth just a tad. Ugh. So, one year to the date after Doe was found, an artist uh, was working on a bust and unveiled the bust of the victim based off of the sketch and the coroner's report, which is right there, and it looks mortifying. Oh, my. It is... It looks very not even human. It does not look human. It looks like the... The... um, Not a bust, but like the... The wax, yeah, the like wax, wax model, people, like a wax yeah. model of like a Neanderthal. Yes, yeah. That you see, not the good ones that you see in like Madame Tussaud, Tussaud, no, but no. like the bad ones like in museum, wax museum. Yeah, of yeah, a totally. Neanderthal. Totally. It's mortifying. It also looks very, very male. Yeah, and it does not look young. That looks like no. middle aged, middle aged man dressed as a woman. Yes. <laughs> 
who wherever this artist went to school, they need to go back because too much. That that's, is that's horrifying. not great. That's like the Ronaldo statue. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in 1984, the NCIC database became like fully operable nationwide and launched officially uh, on a national level. So the Princess Doe's fingerprints and other identifying info was entered that was entered in there drew a lot of attention from some people on the West Coast. In San Jose, California, police were investigating their own missing persons case. Mm-hmm. Detective uh, Dave. Kirkendall saw a possible link between the Princess Joe case and one of his missing persons case of Diane Dye. So once the NCIC database became open, he checked into some information and started comparing. Uh, below, you will see a picture of the missing person in California, Diane Dye, and an age-progressed photo of Princess Doe. Okay. They look very fucking close. Yeah, they do. Yeah, now, really, really similar, especially in the, the cheekbones, cheekbones and the yeah. mouth. Really, yeah, even the nose, too, mm-hmm, is a little... Really close-looking. Yeah. Uh, Diane Dye went missing in 1979 in San Jose, California, and we know that Princess Doe was found in 1982. Uh, Diane Dye was 13 when she disappeared. Uh, she left her home after her parents were um, in a fight and she decided to leave. Uh, so she kind of went to a friend's house, and just never came back. She was last seen in 1981 by a friend at a mall in the area. So she was still alive in 1981. Now you're probably thinking, uh, California, all the way to New Jersey. I don't know who the fuck would travel to that trash place. Like, that's a long haul. But there might be some issues like human trafficking or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. At the that, time, there it was not uncommon to be hitchhiking. Um, Cross-country. Yeah, and like doing sex work at truck stops, getting mm-hmm. rides to other places, and being able to travel that far wouldn't, I think, would be less unlikely as it is today. Yeah. I mean, there is the whole thing where she was cited in 1981 in California. There was, a, you know, almost a year gap between when she was last seen and when Princess Joe was found in New Jersey. Yeah. It is a stretch, but maybe possible. Yeah. The Diane Dye link continued, especially since the dental records and fingerprints came back as inconclusive. In oh, the God, match. really? Yeah. Diane Dye, however, here's, here's the thing with that. Diane Dye's dental records had mm-hmm. not been updated and she was she still had her baby teeth. Okay. So there's the issue with that. Her fingerprints were inconclusive. The fingerprints they took off of Princess Doe were, you know, a little you couldn't do a, a you know, a secure match. Yeah, yeah. Because of the decomp. Right. Um Diane Dye, however, suffered a fracture in her collarbone when she was 5 that when you break your bones, it's pretty, yeah. you know, usually you can tell. Yeah, especially when you do it when you're young and your body is still growing mm-hmm. into itself. Exactly. Princess Doe didn't appear to have any healed injuries. Okay. Now, a pediatric doctor kind of stated, because they investigated this a little bit further, he stated yeah. that due to Diane's age, the bones could have healed and been pretty unnoticeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would just depend upon how quickly she was treated after that fracture in her collarbone. Right. Again, grain of salt. Yeah. Who fucking knows? Yeah. Now, this seemed to be the theory for a very, very long time. Nothing was really ever proven to be conclusive until 1999, when funding for Princess Joe 
uh, was given for her to be exhumed. Okay. This was the year where it was like, DNA! Let's yeah. test all the DNA! They found it. Now so, they wanted to use it for everything. Exactly. So they got that funding. They exhumed her body, and DNA samples were taken from her and analyzed. The DNA was entered into the database, but no matches were found. And just to be sure, her DNA was double-checked against Diane Dye, and it was found to not be a match. Okay. So, effectively, that yeah. was theory was put to rest yeah according to the princessdoe.org website there are some other theories on this case there are uh like standard theories that she was a runaway or a sex worker right right but there are three that kind of stuck out to me and that i wanted to highlight and you can read more about them on the princessdoe.org website i just kind of quickly put some of the information in one theory is john reese murdered her John Reese committed a murder in a nearby town of Belvedere, New Jersey, when he was living there. Okay. I don't know why this is even related, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay. He was convicted of assaulting and murdering a girl, Elizabeth Cornish, who lived below him in a separate apartment. So the apartment directly below him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't find really any information as to why this was connected or why they thought this was a possible theory, only other than... The girl was a between the ages of 14 and 18 and kind of looked like her. Yeah, and it was a murder that happened around the same time. Around the same time, yeah. in, in the same area. Yikes. The MOs, Bad theory, guys. Yeah, the MOs and evidence, I, I don't fucking get it. Yeah. That's like saying every girl with short brown hair between the ages of 14 and 18 are also, who have been murdered in between 1981 and 1985 are connected. Right. How fucking insane does that sound? <laughs> Pretty insane. <laughs> Pretty insane. Pretty insane. Another theory was that Princess Doe was a victim of a serial killer. Just a serial killer. A broad, sweeping statement. She was a victim of a serial killer. Which honestly is like, (laughs) it's like kind of unlikely, but also not as unlikely. But it is a very generalized, like, theory. Cool, yeah. Because there were, (laughs) and I mean, obviously still are, but there were a lot of active serial killers at the time. So it's like, well, I mean, it's just as likely as anything else, really. Everybody dumped off of a ravine was murdered by a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. So the theory lists a bunch of different serial killers in the area, like Henry Lee Lucas or Joel Rifkin. Neither of these individuals were ever reported in the area of Blairstown. Rifkin was the closest, but his killing spree didn't reportedly start until 1989, which was six years after Doe was killed. Yeah. Of course, that's according to Joel Rifkin. Right, right. Which, again, serial killers are known to be cagey. Yeah. Also, if you want to know more about Joel Rifkin, we did cover him on the show. I don't remember what episode, (laughs) but he's there somewhere. So, I mean, sure, that sounds great, but that's also like saying that the Golden State Killer is the Zodiac Killer, and the Phantom Killer from Texarkana is also the Zodiac. Like, yeah, just like, yeah. Come on, guys. And Ted Cruz is also the Zodiac. Ted Cruz is the Zodiac Killer, which is the most likely of all of those, I think. Yeah. So, (laughs) sure, I can I can make up hypotheses all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, like there were a lot of active serial killers, and it is, it's it's. Not likely, but also just as like I mean, it's just yeah. like maybe it's a crapshoot. Who yeah. fucking knows? Yeah. <laughs> Another interesting theory is that she was murdered by Arthur and Donna Kinlaw. Kinlaw and his wife Donna were charged in a prostitution ring uh, case just outside of New York. He and his wife were charged with the murder of a girl who refused to work for them. Reportedly, 
The girl who was still unidentified was bound, gagged, asphyxiated, and bludgeoned to death and then dumped in a river. So sounds pretty close. Yeah. The two were apprehended in California years later during a fraud investigation and now are serving time for the murder of the girl who was killed. Okay. It sounds pretty similar. The wife mentioned that there was another girl that they had killed that was not found. Yeah. Who knows if that's real information. She turned on him to Mm -hmm. get a lesser sentence, which wound up she's still serving life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think of the theories that you've talked about thus far, that would seem the most probable, Mm -hmm. um, mainly because of the amount of violence that was used on the other girl. And then we have that prostitution angle. Yeah. Um, So the girl's the same age. It was kind of close to the same area. They were just outside of New York. So it's, that's, I think is probably the most probable. Yeah. The last nuttiest fucking ridiculous theory is that Princess Doe was murdered by police and then covered up. This, I think, is the dumbest because if you watch the HBO documentary, you can hear the how upset the investigator is. Yeah. And the fact that they have kept this case open and they consistently talk about it every single fucking year. Right. They, like, the police department chipped in to buy the fucking headstone. Like, I... I just don't. Think Maybe that's that was probable. out of guilt, Janelle. Maybe I just that's don't think why. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't seem it just seems very likely. Really fucking stupid. So each year, like I said, they have a memorial service for the Princess Doe in the cemetery where she was found and laid to rest. This year, however, was the strangest of them all. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to cover this case because mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about this a little bit. The Blairstown Museum hosted, I'm going to put loose quotes on hosted a memorial event for jane doe the cost of tickets were 34.99 a person which included a trolley tour and speaking event about the celebration of life at brook hollow winery and a respectful quote unquote respectful visit to the grave site where she was buried and also to the site where she was found you also receive a copy of the book untold story of princess doe by christy lee naprano and a bouquet of flowers to leave at the gravesite. I don't like any bit of that at all. That's like completely 100% profiting off of a thing that happened in your town. God. I understand that the cost of the bouquet of flowers in the book is probably what the $34.99 is for. But that seems so wrong to me. It does seem really wrong. I could understand having a celebration of, of her life and... Passing out carnations to put on her gravesite, but a trolley tour, a stop at a winery, yeah, and label labeling it as a memorial event. You should not have to pay exactly to get to to pay your respects. And if you are paying, it should go to a fund right. for research or something for the case. Yes, in my understanding, that money didn't go towards anything for Princess Joe. Oh, or the Princess Joe organization, probably not. There was a little bit of backlash. People did fucking attend, though. People bought those tickets. God. Like, murder tourism is such a weird thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been on walking tours of cemeteries and things like that. Same, same. I have never participated in something to this degree. I've been to book, you know, book readings and things like that. But this, to me, seems like it crossed the line. Oh, yeah. Big time. It's very much a marketing ploy. Yes. The woman who is the curator of this museum 
this is why I never want to be a curator. Uh, (laughs) There's a certain mindset you have to have when you're a curator. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She was like, oh, no, no, no. This is all in memory to bring attention to this case. And it's like, no. Is it? Or is it just the memory of money in your pocket? Yeah. You just wanted to have a widely recognized event that you put together with your name on it. Yeah. It has nothing to do That's such garbage. With That's so ridiculous. Memory. Yeah. So I was outraged, yes. obviously. Right. Always am. Every day of my life. Outrage. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit because I think it diminishes the entire investigation into this, yeah. this missing person. They still have it open. They still are doing memorials every year. Good. This was just an additional memorial yeah. that they had going on. Yeah. People still visit her grave. The Princess Doe website is still up and running. Mm-hmm. I just want to leave you leave you with some information to encourage you uh, to go to that princessdoe.org website. If you have any information about Princess Doe, if you were in New Jersey in 1982, um, or any, you know, if you know of a person missing who matches that description, please contact them through the website. Mm-hmm. You can also go on the Doe Network, and I will give you her identification number. They have these really weird ID numbers. Her identification number is 36UFNJ. Okay. Please go on there, look at the case, look at the information. If you're in the area, if you have any info, contact them. If you want to get involved, you can also help. Um, they do take uh, volunteers to sift through <laughs> missing persons reports. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you go on the princessdoe.org website, there is a list under possible matches. Yeah, it's a huge list. It is hun- literally hundreds yes. of women between yeah. the ages of 14 and actually above 18. There's some on there that are listed as 25 that looked a little bit young. Yeah. With descriptions even re- just loosely relating right. to the Princess Doe description. That's not the only list. There are hundreds of thousands of missing women in this country that are not even put on the list for Princess Doe. She could be from anywhere. She could even be outside the ages of of listed that the coroner put on there. Who fucking knows? Yeah. All I know is that if you have time and you want to help, contact princessdoe.org. Tell them you want to assist with a missing person's uh, caseload and help them out. Help them look into every possible person that you can yeah that's all i got okay <laughs> way to be way to end it on a down yeah note. <laughs> sorry yeah i don't even have anything just like anything we're just emotionally drained it's so true i don't even have anything like quibby to go into the next uh nope. toss to a podcast that we got to do but i guess if you need something to get to get a little bit more uplifting possibly maybe <laughs> that all of this <laughs> take a listen to this podcast hi everyone i'm ashley and i'm justine and, and we, we make, make up the cutaways podcast we're watching the good the bad and the essentials of the romantic comedy genre so far we've fallen in love with Cary grant met up with our terrible friend pal joey and had the desire to run our fingers through patrick dempsey's hair join our slumber party for your ears every other week 
brought to you in stereo from our blanket fort in Hollywood, California. You can find and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Our digital blanket fort can be found at thecutaways.com. If you are the social butterfly types, you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Cutaways Podcast. Bye! Have you listened to any um, Murder Squad? No. Murder Squad. Murder Squad. It's a podcast that is um, with Paul Holes. Um, Oh my gosh, listen to it. I think it relates directly to this episode because they call people to action on like missing persons and they talk about how you can help. And they have rules. Like, don't contact the families. Yes. Don't speculate about people in the public and don't put names out there. Yeah. So... I just want that as a caveat to people who want to help with cases we just mentioned. Yeah. Don't do those things. And also listen to Murder Squad. Okay, then. Do it. All right. <laughs> well, um, we are coming to the end of our episode here. Uh, what do we got? Let's see. We'll remind you about some stuff we got going in November. Yes. Uh, Mr. Willie's Dark Art and Con, Red Ruffin like and Kalb. I should have a top hat every time you say that. I know. Jubilees. We will be there on November 24th. As more information comes out as far as like ticket sales and all that fun stuff, mm-hmm. we will let you know. But keep an eye out for that. Yep. It'll be on our website, hopefully, or Facebook when we know. No pressure, Vicky. <laughs> when we Ugh. know what's going on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. They, a lot of these events are slow to put information out till right before. Yeah. So that's yeah. why we just we tease for such a long time. It's true. And here's another teaser. A little burlesque music for you. We will be in Rockford. Not sure what that's relating to, but yes. Yes, that's what I'm into. We will be in Rockford for an event November 16th at the Nordloff Center. That's downtown Main Street, Rockford, Illinois. Uh, we will give you more information when we have it, but just yes. know there will be like a film screening, some live shows happening, and a sounds bunch like of- we may be doing a live show. Yeah, maybe. We'll keep you posted when we have more yeah. information, and definitely when tickets become available, we will link that shit up. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more like this, you can go to thebadtastecrimecast.com, but also you can go to iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a five-star review. Yeah. If you didn't like it, then fuck off. <laughs> if you didn't like it, then why did you wait till the end? <laughs> uh, but seriously, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. We'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah, we like to hear topics, mm-hmm. um, information, if you've heard this case before, if you've done some research, if you help out with any of the cases we talked about today, let us know. Or your commentary. Yeah. We like commentary. I love talking to our fans. Yes. Do it. Speak Do to it. us. Do it. Speak to me. Um, let's see. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, the Bad Taste Crime Cast. You can find us on Twitter at BT Crime Cast. Patreon. Patreon. If you want to donate to the show, you can go to badtastecrimecast.com slash donate. All that money helps us with our live shows. Yes. It goes right back into all of the equipment. Yes, it does. Uh, We had to get a new computer. Yeah, we've started. Didn't you? You said you just filed a FOIA request for something in the future. I filed a FOIA request. Like, there's there's things that we use this money for. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, please, if you'd like to, if you just want to leave a little something in our tip jar, you can PayPal Mm -hmm. at crimecast at gmail.com. Yes. Um, Other than that, I think that's it for this week. 
Yeah. Does it sound good to you? Yeah, I need a drink after this episode. I need a nap, <laughs> like I always yeah. do. Have terrible nightmares, like I always yeah, right. do. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. Our sound editing is done by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, <laughs> The Enigma. Good job remembering. Thank <laughs> it's you. Take us a couple. I know. Episodes. I haven't even changed it from Weech to Fullman in my notes yet, but I'm about to right now. <laughs> click, click, click. Done. Uh, something like that. It's probably not spelled right, but that's fine. She we'll suggest. <laughs> we will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. So long. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all people in some form or another. Um, we'll do a lovely segue. Vicky, uh, the tables have turned. What are we going to do today? <laughs> can you do another one where I'm not burping in the middle of it? I mean, no one can hear you, right? You're far enough away. No. <laughs> <laughs>